0: So last week I touched on sort of, um, I just gave it a spontaneous title, the day after or the week after Pentecost. A lot of the traditional churches have got a whole Pentecost season where they celebrate. Us as Pentecostals and Charismatics, we we tend to celebrate on the day. And uh, then we forget about it and we move on in our messages to other messages. So what I've been trying to do, because I didn't do the build-up to the Passover period and then thereafter. So what I figured is I would just stick around Pentecost a little bit. Is that okay? Because we are supposed to be spirit-filled, spirit-led people. Amen? And uh, so we're supposed to be Holy Ghost people. And if we look at the early church, we saw that there were signs After Pentecost, we often look at the sign that they'd received the promise of the Father on the day of Pentecost, which was speaking in tongues. But that was just the evidence of the coming in, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We've established that the church was born, John chapter 21, when Jesus breathed on the disciples. That's when the portion of the spirit that he had retained, he now released so that he could have godly offspring. God didn't just want people in the world, God wanted his own children. Amen. His own sons and daughters. So God wanted uh, godly offspring. So that's why he breathed his spirit. And those disciples were the first offspring of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so as time went on, of course, after Pentecost, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and now the church was empowered. Because Jesus gave them a commission before he left, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. He told him to go into all the world to preach the gospel. So his intention was that the kingdom of God should be ever expanding through the lives of people who've submitted to his lordship, but at the same time who are filled by his Holy Spirit. Amen? So we can't do the works of Jesus without the Spirit of Jesus. And that word spirit is not just only the Holy Spirit without his whole attitude. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus loved people. That's why he reached them out. So we need to operate in the spirit of Christ by the spirit of Christ, if you understand what I'm saying. And so we need to be loving people. Then we looked at the fact that when we looked at the early church, we saw that there were at least seven things. And you could probably find others that changed in the disciples' lives and it became part of the early church. And we said you could possibly look at that as their core values. Number one, they prayed with purpose. Suddenly, you know, they were praying for the extension and the expansion of the kingdom. Suddenly they were praying, God, we're going to witness to your resurrection and uh, to the resurrection of Christ, and we want you to confirm our word with signs and wonders following. And so they prayed purposefully, purposefully all of the time, and I know that they prayed for their own needs, and there's nothing wrong with us praying for our own needs, but they prayed with priority for the needs of other people, for the taking of cities, for the extension of the kingdom of God. That was the big picture. The second thing is they worked the word. They read the word. They did the word. They lived the word, and they adjusted their lives to the word of God. Not only that, We see they lived in absolute love for God and for one another and for people in the world. Fourthly, they were selfless in their service. I mean, it was just amazing the way the early Christians gave themselves to one another. When there was need, if they didn't have the money, they went and sold stuff that was, you know, extra. And they came and they put it either at the apostles' feet or they went and gave it to people so that there was no people in need. They were absolutely selfless in service. You know, um, they preached with power, incredible power, that there were signs and wonders following. And, you know, often when we use the words preach, we go like, that's Pastor John's job. But I use the word preach in a very general term because even though it wasn't the apostles, it was the disciples, and they were witnesses. They shared. They shared their testimony. They spoke about God personally. Tom Scarella put a post on Facebook this morning, and it absolutely just blew me away. And I didn't know about this particular young lady. And it is in the city of Lyon in France. And um, Lyon had two stadiums in it, and it was obviously occupied by the Gauls. Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, came and conquered it and uh, took the city. And of course, they hated the Christians. They began to persecute the Christians. And there's an incredible, incredible story of this young lady, Blandina, in the city of Leon. And um, what happened was persecution through the Romans and by Marcus Aurelius broke out against the Christians. They started to accuse the Christians of incense, of thieving and stealing and all kinds of things. And um, even the servants of Christians... You know, Christian business people and things like that were so afraid to be identified with their Christian masters and mistresses, even though they were Christians themselves, would testify against them to save their own lives. Their businesses, their lands, everything was taken away from them. They were not allowed to have anything. Yet the Christians joyfully endured the persecution. They were thrown into the amphitheaters, killed brutally brutally killed if I tell you some of the torture things you wouldn't want to hear it and here was this young lady Blandina who was a servant and she refused to give her master and a mistress away and she boldly confessed her Christian faith boldly they tortured her so viciously and so badly that the torturers would get so tired of torturing her and she was a young woman that they would have to take turns at torturing her because she was so vital and so alive with the presence of God. And she did not deny Jesus. She kept confessing Christ that they couldn't kill her. They put her into the the stadium the one time and they crucified her there in the midst of lions. But the glory of God was so strong on her, the lions didn't touch her. So they had to take her down off the cross and put her back in prison and continue putting her in making her sit on a burning hot seat. They would whip her. They would pierce her with irons. And again, just exhausted from the torture. They couldn't kill her. And in one moment when she revived and came around, she spoke up and she said, we Christians are not given to wickedness and evil. And eventually, after a long time, she died. But she inspired she inspired so many other Christians to stand firm and to keep their confession. 177 Christians were killed and massacred and martyred. But eventually, Leon became a Christian city because the Romans could not deny the power of their confession. Isn't that incredible? You know, is it's a far cry from the church today. You know, it's a far cry. We can't even be inconvenienced, let alone tortured. We can't take criticism. If a brother or sister ignores us, We fall apart and get all offended. You know, someone looks at you scared. Someone, you know, whatever, and we fall apart. Oh my goodness, you know, you just got to read stories like that and realize that we need something. We need something. Those people had something that we don't have, amen? They were selfless in service. They preached with power, they moved in miracles, and they were frequently filled with the Holy Spirit. So often I've thought about it, and I touched on it last week, and I thought just in a few minutes this morning, if I could touch on something Just a few things concerning Pentecost. Maybe it'll help us, you know. Maybe we get, you know, more revived, more on fire, more excited about the things of God. Jesus ministered for three and a half years. He summed up a lot of his teaching and he did um, something with, um, he sort of compressed A lot of his ministry into a discourse that's recorded in John from the back end of chapter 13 after the Last Supper uh, through to just before he was crucified or arrested and then crucified. And it's recorded from the end of John 13 up to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 records how he stands and prays before the Father. But 14, 15, and 16, he's summing up his teaching. He's summing up what's going to happen. He's giving him an indication of where he was going, and in that process, what would become of them because of the cross, and because of the sending of the Holy Spirit. Powerful teaching. John 14, 15, and 16. Amazing passages. But listen to what Jesus says in John 14, verses 16 to 18. He says other things, but right at the center of it, he said, and I will pray the Father. John 14, of 16 to 18 in the King James. And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. How long will the Holy Spirit be with you? Forever. Will He ever leave you? No. no. If you blow it, will He leave you? No. no. He might change His action with you, but, you know, like to convict you, convince you, or persuade you, whatever. But He will never leave you. Is that okay? When you're going through a hard time, will He leave you? No, he will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Now, here's the thing that I want to just focus on. He calls him not only the comforter, he says, even the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. You know that in three and a half years, Jesus couldn't say everything that he needed to say. And of course, you know, he inspired writers to write the word and he left it to us. But the thing is, those people wrote that word in the Holy Ghost. And so if we are just natural, carnal people, we can take and read that word and we won't understand it. So we need the spirit of truth to understand the truth that he inspired in the truth, in the word. Amen. Amen? So he's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him. So the question is, and again, you know, like what Andre said, without offense, do we know him? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then Jesus says this, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's interesting that the NIV says, I will not leave you as orphans. So we're talking about Father's Day today. Amen. And so Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans because, you know, there was the possibility that they might feel abandoned. Here came the savior of the world, the personification of good and holiness and power and love and everything else. And he lives with them for three and a half years and then he leaves. I mean, that's a recipe for depression. Amen. Being with this perfect human being who absolutely loves you and then he vacates the planet. But then Jesus said I will not leave you comfortless I will come to you. And so he's coming to them was in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit came Paul tells us in Galatians and in Romans chapter 8 in Galatians 3 and 4 that he said that you've not received the spirit of this world that's a spirit to fear again that you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry abba father. Is that okay? And so the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of sonship and the spirit of sonship enables us to live for God and to serve God as our heavenly father. So now the thing that I wanted to bring across in this is something radical must have happened to the disciples on that day because the day before they were hiding in fear, you know, that they will be caught and crucified. If we look at it many times, you know, they didn't understand even what Jesus was talking about. We read it today, and we read it and we go like, yeah, yeah, they, the disciples were really doff, you know. They were pretty thick, these oaks. Because I'm reading it, and I understand exactly what Jesus says. Well, it's because you got the Spirit. They didn't have the Spirit yet. Amen? And so they were still steeped in law. They were still... Steeped in misunderstandings, they were still shrouded with many of their traditions and things like this. All the layers of the religious onion hadn't been peeled off of them yet, yeah. and so they struggled with a lot of things. And so, Jesus says it again in John 16, verse 13. He says, Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, and that all truth is all the truth concerning Jesus and concerning our salvation. Is everybody following me? Yeah. So when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they received the gift of tongues, I believe in that experience, they received something else that was part and parcel of the experience. But in a sense, it gave that experience context. It defined that experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I think that what they received along with the Holy Spirit. Now, okay, I think this is an educated guess, what I'm saying. Is that all right? Are you all following me? I think that what they got was they got a flood. They got a brainwashing. They got a download of revelation. Because I believe in the moments or the hours, however long it was, that they were standing there, a lot of Jesus' teaching suddenly became reality because the spirit of truth dropped into their hearts, expanded their understandings, gave them the mind of Christ. And I believe that's why they became drunk with the Holy Spirit, they became drunk with the revelation of the truth that Jesus had been trying to instill in them and install in them for three and a half years. Suddenly supernatural downloads started taking place. And while they were there speaking in tongues, they started to understand the purpose of the Spirit. They started to understand the poverty of the law they started to understand the servitude and the bondage that they were in. They started to understand the liberty, the freedom of sonship that they would just come into. For the first time, they started to understand the magnitude of the love of God for them. Come on, that's a good place to say because Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, he says that we need to be strengthened with might, with power in the inner man so that we may grasp and know and understand the love of God. Yeah. And they couldn't grasp it. They couldn't, they couldn't get a hold of it. Jesus would keep trying to explain to them and saying, you know, that, that greater love has no man than this. You know, that he lays his life down for his friends, you know, and I'm your friend. And, they, you know, they just they couldn't get around it. But suddenly... When the spirit of truth comes in, wow, you know, and I'm sure that for many of the disciples, it was like, um, you know, in the olden days, you know, Exchange Central, you know, in the olden days when we had those old phones and you'd wind the handle. And you'd ring exchange. Please, could you put me through to this number? And there was a lady sitting there with earphones on saying, hold on, hold on. And she'd be unplugging the cables and plugging cables and say, you can go ahead and you can speak. And I'm sure that there was a lot of remapping and rewiring going on inside of the brains of the disciples because suddenly the Holy Spirit descended on them and he started to lead them in truth. And I think a significant thing happened. And that's why the disciples walked away from that day with great power. Because of the great revelation. Amen? So, I mean, if you just cast your mind back. Jesus said, for example, just after he had fed the 4,000. He had fed the 5,000. I think chapter 6 or so. Chapter 8 of Mark. He feeds the 4,000. And uh, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, all of us, now when I say that, you're going, yeah, 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 the Pharisees' teaching. Yeah, no, we understand that. Well, the disciples didn't have what you got now. Is that all right? And so they're going, why is he talking about bread? Is it because we didn't bring any bread? And then it says in Mark eight seventeen, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And it was only later that they understood the miracle of the feeding of the multitude. And that basically was this. The less Jesus has, the more he can do. Amen? And it's like it took a revelation. Because he had more loaves and more fishes to feed 7,000. He had less loaves and fishes to feed 5,000. And they couldn't understand the miracle of multiplication. I mean in Luke twenty four, forty five, he's walking with Cleopas and the other disciples on the road to Emmaus, yeah. and they're all down and they're dragging their feet, and you haven't you heard what happened to Jesus and you know, and he goes like this. This is what Jesus says to his beloved disciples. He says to them, I like the King James ver- rather, he says, You fools. The NIV makes it a bit more polite. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And I mean, this is after his crucifixion and resurrection. They still don't get it entirely. Amen. But the day after Pentecost, they've got it entirely. Because of something that happened. Think about Peter's sometimey condition. You know, I think Peter was a bit of an independent. I think sometimes he was a little bit arrogant. And um, he certainly was too quick to speak, you know. Because he often had a way of saying things before he had time to think. Are you following me? And so truth needed to be realized because he vehemently denied Jesus. Vehemently. Vehemently denied Jesus. I mean, with oaths and curses, he denied Jesus. After saying, you know, Jesus, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. You know, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you wherever. But yes, the same man on the day of Pentecost, he's the one that stands up and he preaches an incredible message, interprets the happenings of that day, connects it to Joel chapter 2 through operating in a word of wisdom and speaks to a crowd, the same people who were after him from whom he was hiding the day before and the days before. And now he preaches a blunt message to them and tells them, you crucified the Lord of glory, and 3,000 of them get saved. I mean, what transpired? I believe it was truth realized. It was truth realized. I've had many experiences of being in places like that, of just being filled with the Spirit, of being touched by the power of God, being just engaged with by the Holy Spirit when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. And it's amazing how much information, how much knowledge, what God you know, deposits into your spirit because it can receive far faster than your mind. I mean, your mind is still racing, but your spirit is just alive Because the Holy Spirit is just impacting and imparting things into you that it takes your mind sometimes a while to process. And I believe while they were standing there praying in the Holy Ghost, That the power of God just came on them, and just by the Spirit, and just revelations. And I just wonder if certain sermons of Jesus, certain messages, maybe the discourse that He had with them just before being crucified, things were flashing through their minds, and they were going, "I understand, I understand, I understand. I know now. I know what He's talking about. Oh, wow!" And it's no wonder they became drunk and ecstatically excited with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, very quickly, I believe that some of the truths that they realized. number one, I believe this, number one, most importantly was God is enough for them. In other words, God is enough for me. I like what uh, John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. I'm going to say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. It's amazing to me as we read through the book of Acts that we don't see the disciples wanting stuff. We don't see them chasing fame. We don't see them chasing money. We don't see them looking for things in their lives. You know, if we read some of their prayer agendas, if we read the great apostle Paul's prayers, all of his prayers, every now and then he would say, just pray for me that God gives me more opportunity to preach the word. But all of his prayers were for the churches, was for ministry. It was, God opened doors so I can preach the word effectively. He was so satisfied with God. He was satisfied with the fact that God had called him, that he was mandated by God. You know, And God had said to him, by the way, you're going to, through much persecution, enter the kingdom. You're going to suffer for my name's sake. But he was completely satisfied with God. You know that it was one of the things about the Apostle Peter prior to the day of Pentecost, because when Jesus left physically, we know he came back in the person of the Holy Spirit, that one of the first things that Peter did was that he reverted back to his occupation, now, Jesus had called them and said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so, maybe in a bout of just despondency, he goes back and picks up his fishing nets. You know, he says to the other guys, you know, he's such a man of influence. He goes like, oh, you know, Jesus not here. Let's go fishing. Listen, I can highly recommend it, Ian and I. If you're ever in doubt, go fishing. It's really awesome. Okay. But not pouting or any other way. But, you know, he went back because it was almost a sort of backsliddenness, you know? Oh, well, no, we're just going to go. We're going to go fish now. It was much more fun with Jesus, but now. And he couldn't even catch any fish. Jesus had to come and tell him where to throw the nets. But then he's reinstated. So the incredible thing was that afterwards, and remember the conversation, when Jesus spoke about people that had given up things and et cetera, et cetera. And then Peter was the one. He says, hey, we've left families. We've left houses. We've left lands. What are we going to get? Mm. You know, he was still on the other stuff. But on the day of Pentecost, God became more than enough. Yeah. He was satisfied with God. <laughs> the sad thing about a lot of churches is they very much caught up in the things You know, if you teach on our inheritance in Christ in a lot of churches, they think a better job, promotion, more money in the bank. They think cars. They think houses. They think lots of stuff. And they get highly disappointed when you start teaching and saying, you know, the inheritance of Christ, our inheritance in him is not things. It's him. And there's a great disillusionment. And it's like, oh, no. I thought the inheritance was we get all the stuff, you know, that I get a better car, a Lambo, Ferrari sort of thing. And there's a great disappointment. But when you start telling people your inheritance is him, and if there's a disappointment when we think that our inheritance is not stuff, it's him, if there's a disappointment, then you're not satisfied with God. God is enough. And when he becomes enough, He's the most glorified in us. I want him and only him. So Paul says it in Philippians chapter three verse 10, end of his ministry, seen great miracles. He's impacted the whole then-known world. He's anticipating the coming, the great day of the Lord, which was 87. he's anticipating that. So we've preached. The whole world has heard about Christ. And he says, there's now laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And he says, which he will give to me and and all to those that love his appearing. And then he says this. He says this. And now I'm going to get the Ferrari. (laughs) Philippians 3.10. Now I'm going to get my big house. Now I'm going to get the nice watches. Now, he didn't say that. He said My determined purpose is to get to know Him better. I want to know Him. Amen. God was God needs to be more than enough for us. Second thing that I believe that they understood is that they moved out of religion into relationship. Mm. You know, Jesus had been teaching long and hard, and uh, Paul elaborates on it greatly in the book of Romans. And um, five, six, seven, eight, just incredible book. But they moved from religion to relationship. They understood the whole thing of moving out of the law into the spirit. And it's incredible. So I found this one poem um, that John Piper wrote. And he said this, I need no other arguments, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That's enough for me. So they realized what the law could not do. They realized that what the law couldn't do was the reason why God sent Jesus. Yeah. So that they could be found righteous and to live righteously. Yeah. That the love of God rescued us from the wrath of God. They realized the gospel is the only means of the glory of God in Christ in us. Yeah. You can't do it through the law. They realized that the law cannot justify us. The law cannot sanctify us. The law led us to Christ because we realized that we couldn't do it. They realized that it was no longer law keeping, but it was to walk with Jesus. They realized that the law is not the key to unlock a life of love. It cannot remove our condemnation, cannot conquer the flesh. The law could only increase transgressions. And when the transgressions were increased, it was the opportunity for God to display more grace and more glory through Jesus Christ. The law couldn't give the the Son of God the glory of our justification and sanctification. The key to our holiness is walking in the Spirit. And the law can't make you a loving person. And all of these things, they began to realize, you know, I believe... That as the Spirit of God descended on them, he opened their understanding, and that's why it was such a radical transformation for them. Number three, they became Christ inside conscious. That Christ was within them. The whole reason the Holy Spirit came was to dwell in them. Jesus said this, John 14, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Yeah. It's really interesting. Amen? Yeah. And so Jesus was talking about the fact that you've got to read those whole passages where he spoke to the disciples and said, you know, I'm in the Father, the Father in me, and Father is in you, and I'm in you, and I told you the story once where I got a blackboard up and I stood here trying to work it out, so I drew a square for me. Then I drew a square for the Father, and I drew a square for Jesus. And I started saying, all right, Jesus said, if I love him and I believe him and I keep his commandments, the Father will be in me. So I drew a little block, and I put the Father, and Jesus will be in me, and I drew another little block. And then I was, but I'm going to be in Jesus. So I tried to bring that block into that block, and then, and then together I'm in the Father. And suddenly well, there, was, there was all these blocks on the church, and I still couldn't figure it out until I realized, duh, what he means is that we're one. You know, you don't know where the one ends and the other begins. Amen. And so I'm in the father and he's in Christ and Christ is in the father and, 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 I, and they're in me and I'm in Christ and, and it's like, oh my, word. oh my word, I mean, we just, we won. This is incredible union, but we can best describe it as Christ inside of me. But you know, when we look through the scriptures, we don't only see that Christ is in me, but we also see that I'm in Christ. Is that okay? So I just wrote these words down, and I need to go and study it some more. I have studied it, but I'm almost sure that I can safely say this as a conclusion, that God's whole act of placing me in Christ is the power of my righteousness and my sanctification. Is that okay? Because before him, then, I'm in Christ, and he sees me the same as Christ. Amen. Amen. So let's call it the power of my righteousness is to be in Christ. Woo. Amen. Amen. But then Christ is in me. Waza. So how do you describe that? So this is me. This is me. That's the power of my sanctification and it's the power for my ministry. For the expression of his life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's the power for my transformation is Christ inside of me. And that is, he's in me by the person of the Holy Spirit. Yolza. I mean, this is awesome. So we need to be Christ inside minded. They became Christ inside minded. Amen. And then the amazing thing is Jesus said this. If you don't believe that I'm in this union with the Father, he's in me and, and I'm in him. Then he said, believe the works Believe the works. The works that I do is because we are in union. So come on, church. I'm just going to throw it out there. Are you all ready for this? Brace yourself, fasten the seatbelt, say, bring it on, Pastor John. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. So, in other words, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then the works should be the results. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. The works that we produce, the fruit, The ministry, the power for healing and all of those kind of things should testify that Christ is in me and I am in him. Jesus said, the work's sake, believe it, for the work's sake. If I do miracles, that shows I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Come on, church. We need to realize, you need to realize, I need to realize, we are witnesses for Jesus. Amen? And the same power that was in him is in us. So, we should see the same works because it did not say when I go to the Father, that's when it's going to happen. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to do the same works and you're going to do the greater works. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So, I'm prophesying. We're going to see more hearts healed, more cancers disappear. Amen. Amen? I'm grateful for the miracles that have happened, supernatural miracles. But we're going to see more happening. Amen. I'm grateful for those who were instantly healed of the COVID virus. But I want to see more. Amen. Because that should be the natural result. And we need to get the same revelation, the same brainwashing, the same flood, the same download as the disciples got on the day of Pentecost. And it should bring us into the freedom of sons. Amen. So Christ within, and then I'm just going to mention them very quickly. The fourth one was they realized that they were no longer slaves. And Jesus said it, John 14, 15, 16. He said, you're not slaves, you're sons. And I love what Jesus said in John chapter 8. He says, sons are in the house permanently, slaves are not. So John chapter 14, verse 1, everybody preaches those at funerals. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled, you know? And he says, uh, you know, because I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. And everyone thinks that Jesus was going to heaven to prepare a place and they preach these wonderful sermons that the angels are cooking the big meal already and that we're all going to go there and there's a nice house. Jesus was not talking about that. He was saying I'm going to go to the Father, present my blood And in my father's house, so I'm bringing you into the household of the father. There's room for many sons. He says that where I am, there you may be. In other words, such as I am, you may be. So I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to present my blood. And then the father is going to change you. He's going to transform you. He's going to adopt you. He's going to put His Spirit in you, and you're going to realize you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. So He just moved us from servants to sons. I mean, isn't that awesome? Listen, servants are not privy to the counsel, to the conversation of the household. What the Father speaks to the sons doesn't belong to the servants. They're outside of the house. And that's why he said, the Spirit will even tell you of things to come. Woo! I mean, this is awesome. I tell you, we are sons. We volunteer to serve him as servants, but that is not our identity. That is our service. Our identity is sons. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are the generation of Jesus Christ. And so... Sons no longer slaves. So I've said that. So the last thing that I want to just mention is, I called it, we fruitful friends and prophets. It's wonderful when Jesus gets to John chapter 16, and in fact, from 15 already. In John chapter 15, the whole chapter is devoted to speaking about our incredible union with him. You know, the vine and the branches. It's Incredible passages about our union. There's no distinction between the vine and the branches. One flows into the other. The life source that comes up into the vine is in the branches. When you cut the branch, what bleeds out is the same life as in the stem. He says, that's why we bear fruit, more fruit and much fruit. But then in John chapter 16, he talks a little bit about it again. When he says, but this is in John chapter 15. He says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. Yeah. I mean, this is just mind-blowing. Yeah. I just pray we get a revelation. Maybe in this Pentecost season, because I've been encouraging you. Pray in the Holy Ghost more. Yeah. Pray in tongues more. Yeah. You know, spend time praying in tongues. Maybe you get a revelation. Yeah, and then God speaks to you things to come starts to reveal things beforehand, starts to show you who to minister to, starts to tell you whose life to touch. I mean, it's really powerful. And then he says, everything that I've heard of my father, I've made known to you. In verses 26 and 27, he says, when the comforter has come, whom I shall send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. That's how we'll get to know him better. And ye shall also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Come on, church. The way Jesus spoke about the Father is we should be speaking about Jesus. Is everybody following? Okay. And then in chapter 16 of John, he says, 13 to 15, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of me or take of what is mine, and he will make it known or reveal it to you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and he shall show it or reveal it or make it known or give it to you. You know, if we could just see this incredible transaction, let's call it for want of a better word, that is taking place. In the Trinity, everything proceeds from the Father. He's the fount of everything, the source of everything. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he just passes it all over to Jesus. All that I have is yours. And now the Holy Spirit is there because it proceeds from the Father through the Son. And now it comes to the Holy Spirit because he goes and he's taking from Jesus not for himself because there's a sense in which he has it already. So he's taking from Jesus and he's turning around and he's looking at you and I who are hungry for it, who want it, and he's saying, everything the father has, everything the son has, I want to come and deposit it into you. He eavesdrops, in a sense, on the conversation around the throne. The father speaking to the son, And saying, you know, this is what John is going to do. This is what Andre is going to do. This is what Clarence is going to do. And I need you to do this. And the Holy Spirit will take off because he's listening to the conversation. He comes and reveals it. He comes and shares it. He comes and makes it known. Amen. And so they became fruitful friends. They're they're friends of God, but at the same time, they're sons. But friends share secrets, and that's the context. And so, you know, as friends, he's just sharing the counsel of God with us and saying, this is what the Father wants to do. As sons, then we busy ourselves with the business, with the kingdom of God. And he comes and he just imparts to us everything that we need. The beautiful thing is, and the emphasis there is on the word proceeds. I like what Andre said in the in the process of giving but there's a continuum in it yeah. there's a continuation because as we give it opens the way for us to come closer as we give makes way for us to come closer. You know, it's that salt part, but also it's the aroma that goes up to Him that's pleasing to Him. So we're sharing this thing together and we're progressing in intimacy. So the same thing, the Spirit proceeds from the Father, proceeds, it's not just a once thing, it's a continuous thing. So He's proceeding from the Father for right now. Tomorrow when you're facing a challenge, the Spirit is proceeding from the Father and He's bringing you what you need. Amen? And he's sharing things with you. And he's saying, don't take that road, take that road. When you're pouring over documents, he highlights something to you. Or he illumines you. Or he gives you insight and says, write it like this. I don't understand this. And suddenly it comes like an idea. The Holy Spirit is doing these things for us. Amen? And so he's making us look really good. Amen? He's building us up to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. So on the day of Pentecost, When they were standing, praying in the Holy Ghost, I believe that they were not only drunk because of the excessive amount of God's presence, but I believe that the excessive amount of God's presence was because of realization, revelation that just began to explode in their minds. And I believe that that little lady by the exchange didn't know where to put the next pin in because it was like, oh my word, oh my word, oh my word, oh my word. I've experienced it. Amen. That's how I understood the message of grace in minutes. It was just like God was just connecting things in my whole mind, scripture to scripture. Da, 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 da. And after three, four minutes of listening to Prophet Quivers, I said, I've got this. I've got this. I've been preaching it ever since. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we want to thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to thank you that the same Spirit that raised Christ dwells in us. We want to thank you that there's a well, a spring, a fountain of life within us, Lord Jesus. And Father, we want to thank you that is a healing fountain. Mm. It's a life stream. Father, we want to thank you that you said that we are in you after the Spirit comes and because of Calvary, that you are in us and the Father's in us. We're in you. We're in the Father. And we shall do the same works, the same works I just want to just quickly bless you on live stream as you're watching speak the blessing of the Lord Jesus. I pray that through the power the presence of the Holy Spirit, you will just receive revelation, insight, realization of who you are and who Christ is in you in the name of Jesus. Love you all on live stream. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Amen. Love you all.